0: Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Conversations on issues impacting Californians of all ages. Here's your host, Theon Gordon.
1: Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Join us as we dive into issues and policies that impact Californians of all ages, but particularly older adults and learn how you can connect with AARP to make our state more livable for all. I am an AARP volunteer and your host, Dr. Theon Gordon. Today, we are joined by solo aging expert, Dr. Sarah Geber and longtime AARP volunteer and family caregiver, Lily Liu. Dr. Geber and Lily, welcome to the show. I look forward to discussing the concept of solo aging and some of the caregiving components that come with solo aging. So welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. Well, before we dive in, I'd like to ask you both to introduce yourselves a bit more. Lily, we can start with you.
0: Thank you so much for the honor of being with these two powerful women. You two are such experts in your respective fields. Because this topic is so personal for me as a solo ager I wanted to you know riff off of the title of this gathering which is in clear terms and be even more clearer about my own background I am Chinese American and I think representation is so important because there are so many intersections of race ethnicity especially being that California is so diverse so I'm Chinese American an immigrant child I was brought here as a young child So I'm a 1.5 generation family caregiver, and I am bilingual speaking Mandarin Chinese, which has very big implications when you're caregiving because of linguistic barriers and also just trying to understand medical terms. And then most important, my lived experience as a family caregiver is long distance first. My parents were actually in California for many years, and then daddy died of an acute illness, and now I'm taking care of my mother who has a chronic illness. So lots of lived experience. And then most important, that I'd like to take a, a page from our friends who have low vision or are visually impaired and do some self-identification. I am wearing over my heart, really, a red pin. It's two and a half inches long and it's a dragon because the theme of what I always talk about is the importance of having agency So I have evolved from being a dragging daughter, D-R-A-G-G-I-N-G, dragging with fatigue as a caregiver, dragging with worry, and by empowering myself with resources such as AARP California's wonderful resources, I have morphed into the dragon daughter, D-R-A-G-O-N. So when I go on speeches to speak about being a family caregiver, I wear this dragon pin And I hope others will join me in becoming dragon family caregivers. Thank you.
1: Oh, I love that, Lily, from dragging to dragon. I'm going to have to borrow that in some of the work that I do. Thank you for sharing that. And Dr. Geber, can you also introduce yourself? And in clear terms, share with our listeners what solo aging is.
2: I would be happy to do that. I'm Sarah Zeph Geber. And I, too, am in California. I'm in Northern California. And about, gosh, I guess about 10 years ago, I noticed that so many of my friends and colleagues were taking care of their aging parents. And at one point, I thought to myself, I don't have kids. Who's going to do that for me? And I looked around and that there was no answer. So I realized that I was going to have a challenge as I got older. And then I started doing some research and I realized that there was a lot, there were a lot of people just like me who didn't have kids. I think Lily, you described yourself as being a solo ager. So I began to do some research, and eventually wrote the book, Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers, with all the key components that I thought were necessary for planning. And interestingly enough, I got a lot of feedback (laughs) about how people without children weren't the only solo agers around. So I now define solo aging and the solo ager as anyone who sees themselves aging either now or in the future, without the resource of family, without a support system around them. So that extends to people who have kids, but whose kids live thousands of miles away. It certainly extends to people who have kids, but they're estranged from their kids, and people who just generally are alone. So now we're into what's probably 30-something percent of the baby boomers. So that's a big, big number. And those are the people that I try to serve and help educate and raise awareness about the whole issue of solo aging. Well, thank
1: you for that. That is a very clear definition of what solo aging is. And aging alone, it's becoming so much more common in our communities, whether people are aging alone because they don't have children or whether they've outlived their loved ones or perhaps have children who, aren't, who just aren't nearby. And we are seeing this a lot in California, especially as the cost of living continues to rise. Support networks are leaving the state. Dr. Geber, can you speak more on the demographic trends around solo aging?
2: Yes, with the baby boomers, the rate of solo aging, at least the rate of women who didn't have children, doubled over all previous generations. And that is a pretty important factor and that that's been a, that information has been available for a while. But more recently, the uh, US Census Bureau did a study on older Americans and childlessness and found that it is much more common among baby boomers in general. And the later the baby boomer, the more common it is. So those of us on the leading edge of the baby boom essentially have about, oh, 16% childless rate, and I kind of like to say child-free rate among women, and the later baby boomers bring it up to around 18%. So when you think about it, you look around you, that's, that's one in five, That's a pretty strong statistic. And again, we're not even counting the people whose kids live far away, who are estranged and who just generally don't have any family. Because, of course, some people without kids have other family that they can rely on. Nieces, nephews, younger siblings. So it's not all about kids, but it's a lot
1: about kids. Now you mentioned, and I'm going to ask you one more question, and then, Lily, I want to ask you a few questions as well. You mentioned some of the things that may happen. What are some of the challenges around solo aging?
2: The challenges for solo agers are not so terribly different than the challenge for all of us, for anyone who has children or not, no matter where they live. We are challenged with making sure that we can fund our later years, that we have enough money to get us through to potentially our 90s and even 100s. So that's the financial leg. There's the legal leg of this, I call it a three-legged stool, where it's important for us to do our advanced directives, make sure we have identified people that can help us and speak for us later in life and our powers of attorney so that it's basic estate planning is very important. And then, of course, the third leg, and to me the most important, is the social. The social support network for solo agers is sometimes very difficult to put together. Again, depends on what resources you have around you in the way of other family, what resources you can cobble together in the way of friends. I'm very happy to see that across the country I'm hearing about groups that are forming so groups of solo agers that are getting together and helping one another to figure this out and to create plans. They're doing it through the village network. They're doing it through their churches and synagogues. They're doing it in in so many ways. And I, I cannot tell you how gratifying that is to hear that people are doing that. And I hope that in the next 10 years I will be able to make even more inroads there and create some materials for people to use for that kind of planning.
1: Oh, that sounds great and great ways to address some of the challenges that you just mentioned. Now, Lily, as a caregiver, how can being a caregiver for a loved one while also aging
0: alone be extra challenging? May I be joking? And say, how many hours do we have together? <laughs> it is so difficult. But thank goodness there are thought leaders like Dr. Sarah, because even before this invitation to the podcast, I had already purchased her book, and it's incredibly useful, Essential Retirement Planning for Solo ages. Thank goodness we have experts like Dr. Sarah, but my lived experiences taught me the most important things. Number one, I realized halfway through these 12 years of caring for my mother by myself, and especially during the pandemic, I have the slogan now, she has a me, but I as a solo ager won't have a me. Think of the implications of that. And then thanks to the virtual platforms during this pandemic, I've actually run hosted two virtual support groups. So today I'm coming to the table with other learnings from others. And one very practical thing one of the members said to me was, I had to go and get a colonoscopy, but you have to have someone to sign you out. So think of that implication, or a friend who had cataract surgery needed help. Practical, tactical things. Then, of course, during the pandemic, some of our support group members, they became ill. Who was going to care for their loved ones while they were down? And then most important is, if you think about it, the word respite, I'm going to use the New York term, forget about it. There's just no respite when you're a solo ager. So those are just some of the top of mind challenges.
1: Those are really clear, pointed challenges that I'm sure many of us face, even when you do have children, as we mentioned, you can be a solo ager having children. You mentioned some of the networks that you've been able to create. What are some of the differences of social networks you see between solo agers and non-solo agers.
2: I don't know that there are a lot of separate solo ager networks at this point. But again, I think I get a surprise almost every week, at least that I learn about so there's some other group going on out there, or some other effort, some other some other champion for this cause. Um, I have a group of other professionals that I meet with monthly and we call ourselves pros working with solo agers so there's attorneys and there's financial advisors and there's patient advocates and there's coaches and there's just all kinds of us that try to get together on these meetings we don't all make it to every meeting but I sure try and make it to every meeting so i know that there are other things going on out there there's a woman in boston who's doing a uh, who's a patient advocate and she runs groups so it's that kind of activity that is it's so, so gratifying. And more and more is happening all the time. And of course, solo agers belong to lots of other kinds of online and in-person activities that support their efforts as well. Great. And Lily, do you have any
1: ideas around different social networks?
0: Yes. Just yesterday, I was in conversation with a new friend And she made a very interesting point. She said, with a family and with a spouse, you actually have something called a, and she had a beautiful word, implicit pact, P-A-C-T, where there are some, and I'm going to keep that in my mind and heart for a long time. I love that because even without being said, you have some sort of reliance, a network, right? But then also for those of us who are solo agers, especially California being a state of innovation. New roles are coming up. There's now something called a medical note taker. If you're a solo ager, you can actually delegate, hire someone who goes to a cancer treatment appointment and helps you take notes. So I just think that in America, the land of innovation, we're all going to keep innovating because this is a social and demographic phenomenon.
1: Absolutely. And I know that there are so many different groups out here. In particular, I am affiliated with lots of travel groups for traveling solo. Because if you think about it, when you're doing things solo, you've done it for a lot of your life. So you've found other networks that are already geared towards solo travel or solo dancing or whatever it is. So you find these groups where people are like-minded and looking for partners to participate in the work. And I do love this implicit pact to have a a person that becomes what I would call an accountability partner, even when I'm working out or something like that. I, I like to have an accountability partner so they can say, hey, did you get your steps in this week? And I can say, yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So I love having this implicit pact of networks. Do either of you have any
0: advice on setting up or developing social networks? Let me start because I'm trying to do that right now. It's very important in this conversation, though, to make sure that we're talking about the phase of our aging, which is the young old and then the old old. Of course, when we're old old, which is actually the fastest growing segment of the American population, when you think about it, of course, Dr. Geber's advice is very important. Prepare for all that. Get all the ducks in a row, all the documents. And then in between, there are opportunities I don't want to come at this with only doom and gloom. So that's why the word network, especially those of us who grew up in the era of technology, I like that word better than team. Team in my mind, sort of like everybody has a designated role. But if you have a network, you're interconnected, interdependent, and intersecting. So that way everybody can step up in different ways. One quick piece of advice is years ago, I wrote speeches for someone who was older, And her biggest (laughs) takeaway from the many advice she gave me was always make younger friends. That is so brilliant. As I've aged now, that has come true. And then, of course, preparing ahead of time is important because a lot of people have their identity from the workplace. And once you leave it, things may really be different. And then another one of my support group members said, and you got to keep fertilizing that network, meaning not only are you going to receive but are you giving are you calling others in your own network and then i've learned from a younger friend who actually used the opposite frenemy but you can also have a family <laughs> who are family by choice and not by blood
2: i so agree with what you're saying lily it's an interesting transition when you go from a, a an employed person a working person to being either on your own or with your spouse And looking around you and and trying to figure out, who is my network now? But it's so important to do that and to continue that. I get asked all the time, how do I do that? How do I make friends later in life? And I say the words that some people really hate to hear, and that's be a joiner. Join groups and activities that you're interested in. And meet other like-minded people. That's really the only way I know to do it. And that can be anything from a book club, a hiking club, a church or synagogue or mosque that you may not have been to or been a member of for many, many years. A lot, I think that a lot of places of worship are now very aware that their main role in terms of older adults is social. It's not religious observation. People have decided, by the time they're 55 or 60 or or beyond, they've decided what the role of religion is in their lives. But the role of any kind of place of worship can be very, very social and very conducive to building these networks. So I'm a big advocate of joining any kind of group that appeals to you. And also to be patient. It's not overnight that you're going to make a new friend in a new group. And I, again, I have people telling me all the time, oh, I tried that group, but they just don't seem like my kind of people or they, I don't see any real friend potentials in that group. Give it time. Because people's personalities will begin to emerge over the course of a year or two. I also want to add at this point, in case I don't get another opportunity, That solo agers are also people who are married. I'm married, and my husband has become (laughs) only too aware of of solo aging, thanks to my work. So we have both done the work that a solo ager who is single would do. We are both developing other groups of people that we hang out with, that we do things with. My husband is an amateur musician, so he belongs to two different bands and he has a men's group that he has lunch with every week. And I have a book club and I have uh, varying different interests. We're both doing the work because we do not have a crystal ball. We do not know which one of us is going to cross over first. So if you are married, please don't think that you're not a soul teenager because if you don't have nearby family or children, you probably aren't a solo ager or certainly will be at one point in your life. That certainly
1: gives a good perspective on solo aging and thinking about that future planning that you talked about. It's important because those are things people don't always like to, to talk about. And Lily and Dr. Geber, I love the ideas for building these networks, for building the social networks, the whole idea of looking at Making younger friends. Making younger friends, I think, is really, really important and is so much that we can share with the next generation, with all the different generations. And having those type of conversations, I think, are really good as well. Preparing ahead, identifying our identity, who we are are when we leave that workplace. A lot of people do get a little lonely when leaving the workplace because everything was caught up in that. And I love the idea about preparing ahead and making sure you're clear on the identity because it happens in iterations. I think about when my daughter graduated and I became the empty nester. And it's sort of like, oh, my gosh, I'm not Mathias' mom anymore. Who am I? I mean, I am her mom, but nobody's calling me, hey, Mathias' mom, because nobody knew my name at the school. They only knew me as my daughter's mom. And so I had to come up with a whole with my identity and rediscover myself fertilizing networks. Hey, you have to be a friend to have a friend. I love that. And then the family. I like that. We do have frenemies, so why not have families? Having people that we create as our family. And then being joiners, being a joiner of clubs, of churches, of synagogues, and places of worship, and being patient when getting new friends. It's like starting all over again. We're going back to kindergarten, and does this person like me or do they not like me? I love all of these pointers for our listeners, so thank you for sharing those. Now, I want to ask a little more about caregiving. So, Lily, as a caregiving expert, how can people prepare for their own
0: caregiving journey? Well, it's so important because not only is there the caregiving stage, but we also need to be aware of the end-of-life stage so they meld into each other and so, of course, turn to AARP. First of all, AARP has a wonderful guide called the Prepare to Care Guidebook. And in it, there are steps that you can follow. And it's very easy to find all this because AARP's website, which is aarp.org, because AARP's nonprofit, then there's the forward slash and the word caregiving. Everything's on that wonderful website. And then, of course, there are state-specific resources. AARP has 53 state offices. So you just put in aarp.org forward slash CA for California, and you have state-specific things. And then, of course, our partners that help us in the field of aging, the area agency on aging in your specific area. Everything's by zip code, so you can find resources very near you or often it's called the Department of Aging. But I think it's very important also to always keep an eye on the thought leaders like Dr. Geber. Many people in this space will talk about aging in place, but Dr. Geber, Dr. Sarah has a twist on it and said it's more important to say the word aging in community. I hope she'll speak more to that because the main thing for me is during this terrible pandemic where I have, in order to keep my mom safe, literally stayed inside for, I think now, three years, Um, there are communities that are not brick and mortar. So I actually have friends now on the two-dimensional platform of Zoom, and there are friends literally across oceans. So rethink the word community. It does not have to be the wellness center down the street. And then of course, because of the lessons from this pandemic, always know how to use technology. It may be intimidating at first. I still have a blinking VCR. But the most important thing is from the technology, you're able to have resources and have different access on a different platform.
1: Oh, those are are wonderful,
0: wonderful pointers. And
1: thank you for bringing up AARP as one of those major resources and advocates for caregivers. So definitely check out AARP.org forward slash caregiver. So now I want to welcome both of you to chime in here. Who can step in and help make important decisions for solo agers when they may not be in a physical or a mental state to make these decisions for themselves?
2: I have wrestled with that question, not just for myself, but for so many of the people that have come to me for some guidance and advice. And, you know, it can be almost anyone, anyone that you trust and that you think is a, that you think will hold up in an emergency. And there are people who we love and we're close to, maybe a sibling that we'd like to name, but we know that they are maybe quite emotional and might not make the best actual decision for us in the time. So make sure that you're choosing someone who you trust with your information and your signature authority, but some of it you think will do a good job, and it may not be the person you're closest to. It may be your sister-in-law or your brother-in-law rather than your actual sibling. It may be someone who is not related to you. Interestingly, in California, we have something called a uh, professional certified fiduciary, Now, California is one of the only states that actually licenses professional fiduciaries. And we're lucky in that because we can actually hire a fiduciary to be that person for us. One couple that I'm quite friendly with and familiar with their planning has no family. They have absolutely no family whatsoever. They're the last of their line and they've had no children. So they have been very proactive About engaging a professional fiduciary who then they're in their 70s now and they're quite still quite mobile and functional, but they know that there will come a time when one or both of them may need that help. So they've started meeting with this fiduciary once or twice a year so that she can get to know them. And when the time comes, she will be the one to make decisions, probably for the remaining spouse. One of them will pass on first and then the remaining spouse will really need the fiduciary. So they're being very proactive with that, but that is a res- resource also. Their banks, of course, have trust departments with people who can have signature authorities for you. I'm of a more persuasion that that it's kind of a gives you a better feeling to appoint someone that you know. And it could be a younger friend. Lily mentioned the importance of having younger friends, its it, it shouldn't be overlooked. It's very important to have younger friends. I actually belong to a book club. And when I joined the book club, I was really happy to see that there were women in their 40s all the way up to women in their 70s. And I thought, wow, this is so great because we will bond as a group. And we have over the seven years that I've been part of this group, bond in a way that I could see myself asking one of these younger women to be on my advanced directive, not on the first line. My husband is still on the first line, but I need somebody on that second line and that third line. So you never know when you're going to meet the right people, but it's good to start looking around you and saying, who do I know that's younger? Because it it gives me shivers when people say, oh, you know, my sister and I have named each other and the sisters are two years apart. (laughs) That makes no sense to me. So, okay, put your sister on the first line, but you've got to have somebody younger on that second line and third line. So that's kind of my bias about choosing people to stand in for you. Thank you for that. And Lily, did you have anything to add to that?
0: Yes, just real quick. I think the most important thing that I got out of Dr. Geber's book was that she used the word, this is an intentional reference. You can leave everything to chance, but if you have intention and think about it, so I sort of turned that into uh, the Ghostbusters movie, who you're going to call Ghostbusters. (laughs) So you're going to have to have an answer to that, who you're going to call. And it's as practical as having the document, you know, in case of an emergency, your power of attorney, your beneficiaries. So I think Dr. Geber's, point of being intentional is very key.
1: Wonderful, thank you, thank you both for that. Now, I know we've talked about who do we call, how do we solve some of these challenges of solo aging? Sometimes aging alone can be perceived as being the lesser option. but there are also a lot of benefits to solo aging. How can we lessen the fear? and the worry about solo aging, and instead start thinking about some of the opportunities and the options. Lily, you want to take this one on first?
0: Yes, I think, once again, I must say, it's important to think about getting everything ready when you're old, old. But when you're young, old, this presents so many opportunities. I always make the joke, before I started taking care of mom, if I didn't want to cook that night, I just ate a peanut butter and sandwich. So it's, it's a sense of freedom, number one. Number two is that when you think about the demographic changes, we have an opportunity to become a champion, an advocate, and an activist. We know about suffragists who helped us get women's vote. Now is our chance to step up and do something, what I literally call change the future of aging, because we can bust the existing paradigms and then try it out as a new generation. So... Let's all have agency, become empowered, and try out new paradigms.
1: Those are wonderful. I love
0: the championing
1: and having agency at, at this particular point. And then the sense of freedom that you have. I actually feel like I've been aging solo for a long time, even though I do have a daughter. And that sense of freedom I felt when I empty nested. Oh boy, that was fun. So,
2: <laughs> Dr. Geber, anything you can add to this? I love what Lily said about having agency. One thing that single people have kind of perfected, especially during their working days and, and on into their days of volunteering and doing some alternative kind of work or giving back, is that single people tend to be so resilient and they've really built a life for themselves with true agency and the ability to put their lives together in the way that they want. And yes, having a peanut butter sandwich for dinner, or <laughs> for me, it's when I was single, it was a bowl of cereal, grape nuts, get me the grape nuts. <laughs> it's very important and it's it will serve you so well. That kind of feeling of agency will serve you so well when you set your sights on developing your plan for the future. I think it will. I think that that single people, often are in much better shape to be doing that. But the hazard that I have seen for years is couples who rely on each other for everything. And I think that's, frankly, dangerous. As we get older, we need to have interests of our own so that we can truly develop our own support system in addition to, not instead of, but in addition to our spouse. Because we're, we, we're going to have both. You've know, got to juggle both balls and focus on that, um, on building the one that needs, that needs strengthening. It's never been more clear than when I watched people during COVID and the isolation and loneliness that some of them were experiencing, married or not. It really brought it into high relief. And I think that COVID was one of the things that ironically brought solo aging into high relief. And a lot more people started paying attention.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's so many aftermath of COVID that continue to bring these things to light. But having that sense of freedom, being able to champion and advocate for different causes, especially for aging. I think about being able to teach the next generation. I I know a young lady that I met who's uh, having to care for her mother right now. As I was speaking with her, she was saying, thank goodness my mom had this insurance that took care of everything. And I said, well, she's in her late 30s. I said, yeah, that's really good. So I'm sure you have that insurance now. And she says, I don't even know what it is. And so this gives us an opportunity to start talking about insurance or annuities or whatever you might want to have to the next generation. And that, again, brings up having younger friends. Think about, hey, you want to get your things in order. Make sure it's in order. I had to get mine a little later. Yours will be less expensive if you get it early. And developing those type of things. I I love the idea of the resilience that you brought up as well. So right now, I want to ask you one more question. And this time, we'll start with you, Dr. Geber. How are you both preparing to age successfully?
2: Uh, I try to uh, walk my talk at every juncture. Um, We have interviewed some fiduciaries. I do have younger family members, but I don't think they are the right people to be making decisions for me. My nieces and nephews live at least a four-hour drive away, if not further. And my husband's family all lives on the East Coast. So they're not accessible to us and they're, they're not the right people. Now, having said that, they are on our advanced directives and our powers of attorney alongside the fiduciary. So you can do these things in tandem as well. There's a lot of creative ways to get these things done. And if you have the wherewithal to engage a financial advisor as well as an elder attorney also known as an estate attorney, they will be very helpful. And I think that AARP has some resources for finding those people. And your Area Agency on Aging will also have a, a stable of resources for you. I, I find that the these Area Agencies on Aging, which, by the way, are in every county, are very little known and little used. And they should be used because people who are scratching your head and thinking, well, who am I going to get to help me with this? start with your area agency on aging. So we have put together our basic paperwork and we did it quite some time ago. So every eight or 10 years, approximately, we go back and revisit it. And sometimes it needs to be rewritten because sometimes the people that you have on your estate plan and your your plan for aging and care, sometimes those people move out of your life for one reason or another. So it's always good to keep it up to date as well. And, and my husband and I have tried to do that. So I guess that's the, uh, I'm just trying to walk my talk is basically my answer.
1: All right, well, thank you for that. And Lily, how are you preparing to age successfully?
0: Oh, I'm just gonna win the lottery that will solve everything. (laughs) (laughs) No, but seriously, because of my affiliation with AARP as a volunteer all these years, I really would like everyone to know, especially during this Women's History Month, that the founder of AARP was a woman. And she founded ARP 65 years ago this year. ARP was founded in 1958. Her name is Dr. Ethel Percy Andrus. She was an educator, not a medical doctor. She got her PhD in education. So she had a great way of framing that it's not retirement, it's refirement. And in the original seal for ARP were three very key words aging successfully involves dignity independence, but the word that strikes me the most as I think about successful aging is purpose. Dignity, independence, purpose. That for me, the third one, purpose. You're going to have to find your purpose to get out of bed every day when you don't have to be doing that because of an alarm clock. So I hope that gives everyone some thought.
1: All right. I love that. Thank you both so much for joining us on the show. Any last comments before we wrap things up?
0: Let me just real quick then say that thanks to thought leaders like Dr. Geber and you, Dr. Theon, who are an entrepreneur, let us all grab this opportunity. In a way, a friend of mine said, we have an opportunity that our moms and our grandmothers didn't have. We have agency to really think about a new way of aging as solo agers or just regular aging people because the boomers have been, as demographers have said, changed every phase of life that we've moved through. We are the pig in the python, one demographer called us. So now we have an opportunity to redesign what it means to age successfully and well. And in a way, I call this a privilege that we have been afforded. And thanks to having organizations like ARP and Dr. Geber's books and resources, we can make it a successful and good aging process.
2: You know, I want to underscore what Lily said about being kind of the pioneers in this form of retirement and aging. I try to stop using the word retirement as much as possible because we're Most people are doing such phenomenal things at an age when the classic literature would have us retired. But it's important to really carve out a new way of doing things for the people that follow us. They'll they'll make their own way too. Generation X and Generation Y will come along. The millennials will come along and reform it for their world as well. But we can lay some groundwork for them. And I, to a great extent, I think, um, a lot of us are are doing that, and uh, lower people can do that just in their own families, can be a role model, can lay the, the foundation for what positive aging really looks like. And that's what we're all about, after all, is positive aging. Well, thank
1: you both, Dr. Geber and Lily, for joining us today on In Clear Terms. This was a very engaging and interesting conversation on solo aging and family caregiving. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining. And I think you said it earlier, Lily, how many hours do we have? We could have continued on and on. Again, we have had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Sarah Geber and Lily Liu on the topic of solo aging and how those aging alone can prepare for the journey. In future episodes, we look forward to hosting experts who can shed light on critical issues in our state, how AARP is working to ensure the voice of those ages 50 plus is heard, and how you, our listeners, can learn more and act on these important decisions. Thank you for listening to In Clear Terms with AARP California.